Good morning, everyone. We spent the last three weeks looking at the first half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We've seen his opening up of the gospel story to the people in Ephesus, that epicentre for worship of many different Greek and Roman gods. And we can read about Paul's experiences from around AD 52 to 56 living in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And there we discover him preaching and teaching as always, starting in the synagogue, but moving to a lecture hall when some of the local Jews were not happy. This letter was written probably from prison around AD 61 or 62, some years later. If you remember back to his opening greeting, he is writing to the holy people, the people of faith in Jesus in that city whom he nurtured all those years ago. It is ultimately a letter of encouragement for all Christian believers, Jew or Gentile, that in the new scheme of things, God wants a unity that has never been seen before. In the first three chapters, Paul has explained the gospel story of unity. These chapters have focused on the unity that Christ brings by reconciling believers to God and each other through his death and resurrection. We could say that they have set out gospel doctrine, the things we believe. So what do the last three chapters do? These chapters put that doctrine into practice. Overall, they encourage a response of unity under Christ for us all. Last weekend, we heard Paul pray for the Ephesians, but of course for all of us too as we read his letter. It almost feels as if he's using his prayer to settle everyone down as he then begins to explain the nitty-gritty of how we should be the church that God wants us to be. Basically, that is a church that grows, both spiritually and numerically. As we read on, Paul is going to set out some fundamental principles for any and every church in any place that will bring genuine growth in holiness and which will lead to growth in numbers. The two sort of go hand in hand because growth glorifies God. It's not going to be weird or complex work, but it will take time and sacrifice, prayer and care. As one commentator put it, this is how God gathers people into churches under Christ with unity in ministry for maturity. So what does our passage today tell us as we begin to think about what this all might mean for us in the 21st century in Shelthorpe? Let's begin with unity. Verses 1 to 6 are all about unity. The word one appears eight times in these verses. Paul really wants us to understand that unity, note, not uniformity, that's different, is really important for us. Unity has its root in our calling from God as we make our decision to trust him, believe in his son and follow him. Part of this calling is then to also be in unity with each other in our church. He urges us. That's something more than just asking, isn't it? He urges us to be humble with each other, to treat each other with respect, wanting the best for each other no matter who we are. C.S. Lewis famously said in his book, Mere Christianity, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Paul also asks for gentleness. More literally, this is meek in the Greek, but we need to be careful with that word because meekness can often be seen or heard as weakness and it is not that. In this context, gentle really means treating others with kindness, being more compassionate and softly encouraging. Someone once said to me that being a church leader didn't mean anything more than being the lead disciple in a group of people. 
i.e. being a good example for people to copy rather than someone cajoling everyone else into the actions they want. I've always tried to follow that model and think that it really applies to all of us as disciples, not just church leaders. Let's be good examples of people who follow Jesus, because that's the way others might get to know a bit more about him. Another bit of church growth strategy stuff here, I think. Next, Paul urges patience. This means, according to the dictionary, being able to accept or tolerate delays, problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. I wonder what this might look like for you. For me, this means something about recognising that we are all a work in progress, especially me, and therefore learning to accept other people as they are, and that God is working with them too on their patience. Being humble, gentle and patient then is perhaps all summed up by the last phrase of the verse, bearing with one another in love. This is the first of Paul's two aims for Christian communities. It means that we are able to accept the failures and flaws of others because we love them and this will then help us to deal with his second aim, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let me quote Richard Kirkin's commentary on this. This is our shared experience of adoption into God's family for peace with God and peace with each other in Christ. We are to do everything we possibly can, in whatever roles we have, to pursue and maintain the unity of our church in Christ instead of fueling division. When tension arises, as it occasionally will in every church family, Rather than stirring things up with overconfident opinions or destructive gossip or bitter aggression, we are prayerfully to encourage and help each other to listen humbly, speak gently and forgive patiently. Paul could see that unity is very precious in God's sight. It's unlike anything else in society today. Why? Because it comes from Jesus and verses 4 to 6 explain how. These three verses show us the relationship, the unity, between the three persons of the Godhead that we are to emulate. The three persons are different, but equal and ordered in their love for one another. There is one Spirit who calls us, through hope, to be part of the body of Christ. There is one Lord Jesus who shares with us one faith and one baptism, the one he too had. Then there is one Father, who is the creating presence over all. So in the church we are to be community like this, where we are all equal but with different roles that we each exercise sacrificially and with love, serving each other. Our church is called to be a reflection of our Creator. How exciting is that? Well, if you are a person on the outside looking in, finding a church that really does look like this in every nook and cranny, so to speak, will certainly be exciting and especially if you are searching for the filling for the Jesus-shaped hole in your life, I suspect it would then be very inviting. Let's just think for a minute how we can each proactively help to maintain our unity at the Good Shepherd, especially as we begin to reshape after the pandemic crisis. Having looked at the way we can all grow spiritually, Paul then goes on to talk about how all the different gifts we have are given not just for ourselves, for our personal satisfaction, shall we say, but for the unity of the church as a whole. 
You can find out more about the particular kinds of gifts Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. In these verses, however, Paul is encouraging us all to be a part of the ministry of the whole church, no matter which particular gift we have, all are needed. No one gift is superior to another, be it washing the pots or preaching the sermon. It is Christ who gives the gifts, verse 11, and he knows how we will need them. Remember that we are all approved of by God for our godliness, not our giftedness. That's why Paul quotes from Psalm 68 here. He seems to be simply reminding his readers that this psalm looked forward to the victory of Christ, ascending to heaven after descending to earth to come and die for us, when he then gave us as gifts to the church, his people, verse 8. In other words, you and I are Christ's gifts to his church. We're not meant to be consumers of church, but contributors to church, each and every one of us. How? Verse 11 onwards. Because Christ equips us so that the body of Christ can be built up for works of service, ministry in other words. This means that we will all need to be involved. We can't leave the ministry to just a few people. It is for us all to take our part with whatever gift God has given us. Paul says that is the things that we do that all help the church to grow, not just those who lead or teach. Remember though that I said, unity in ministry for maturity. Jesus doesn't want us to be united in diversity and busy with ministry. He wants our churches to grow in maturity, in our being like him, our Christ-likeness, we would say. This will involve the work of the Holy Spirit. I remember back to when our children were small, there were loads of crazies that went round school that would involve great debate at the kitchen table as to whether something could be brought or not, so they could be like everyone else. These click-clack balls were one such a thing. Perhaps you remember them. Personally, I thought they were positively dangerous and the numerous bruises on the boys' hands proved my point eventually. But they were a craze, popular for a time, then consigned to a drawer. It can be very easy to get caught up in a craze and bring a division into the church as someone else is moving on to the next craze. We are no longer to be like children, verse 14, Paul says but we are to be lovingly truthful with each other in our everyday faith lives, encouraging gospel ways of living, making decisions and changing our attitudes. Again, this is what the world will see and be attracted by so that the church grows as each person plays their part. And this brings us back to one of Paul's favourite descriptions of the church, perhaps, Christ's body. For the body to grow, all the bits need to be connected to each other. But most importantly, they all need to be connected to the head, Christ. As we continue to work out our reshaping, we will all still be needed for the growth of the church. Our roles may change slightly or even a lot, but our contribution of whatever sort remains absolutely vital for the good of all of us, and especially for those who are not yet members of the church, maybe people we don't even know. We must minister together with the gifts God has given to us. We also need to keep listening and checking things out with the head. This will mean much prayer and conversation with Jesus too. Is there anything that God is saying to us right now that we are resisting? Are there things that we are neglecting which is holding back the growth of our Christ-like maturity of us all? These are questions for us all to ask of ourselves and each other. We all need to join in 
Being a member of a church is being part of a team, as I always tell those whom I baptise or their parents. And we all know that teams only work well when everyone plays their part. Kirkin says that this passage teaches us that we need to maintain our unity, contribute our ministry and grow our maturity. This is what God requires of us so that his kingdom will grow. It leaves me asking myself, am I playing my part? And maybe it does you too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the team that I am a part of. Help me to play my part as Jesus leads us all together that we might bring glory to your name and see your kingdom grow. Amen.